Welcome to the Psychedelic Suitcase. I'm Dave McNee. This episode is a look back at our time spent in Portugal and how we eventually got home. The plan was to stay for two or three months in Portugal and then move on. But COVID hit, so we decided to kind of stick around there a bit longer. It was in the middle of nowhere and we felt safe. It ended up being six months that we stayed with Gabby and Joe, the owners of the animal rescue slash off-grid community. But as time went on, we thought maybe it's best to get back home. So after a number of canceled flights, they canceled all the flights going directly from Portugal to Canada. We found a way home through Germany and London. Before we get into that story, I just want to give you a heads up about some upcoming episodes. We've been busy interviewing people. Um, we can't physically go and see them so much anymore, but thanks to the miracles of technology, we can reach out and still talk to people. The first person we interviewed, and these shows will be coming out in a few weeks, is Andrew D'Angelo. He's a plant medicine pioneer who uh, was one of the co-founders of Harborside, one of the first dispensaries in California. He's got years of experience navigating the uh, cannabis revolution, and he's bringing that same expertise to psychedelics. We also talked with Wendy Oki. She's the niece of artist Alma Rumball. If you haven't seen any of Alma Rumball's work, I suggest you look it up. There's a documentary on YouTube called The Alma Drawings, and uh, sort of documents her story. In a nutshell, she was uh, an artist who, at the age of 50, had a vision of Jesus. And from that moment on, her hand would automatically draw and paint these intricate designs. She claimed she had no control over the drawings that she made for the rest of her life. But I do suggest you check out the Alma drawings. It's fascinating how the work that she accomplished, seemingly unknowingly, is quite incredible. So I suggest you check that out. We also talked with Emma Chasen um, from Portland, Oregon. Uh, she is a plant medicine educator, and we talk all things plant medicine, psychedelics, and cannabis. So those will be coming up in the next few weeks. Um, but this episode, like I said, is more of a look back at our stay in Portugal and our adventure trying to get home. It all started the night before, making masks so we'd have enough to travel with. Yeah. Mask making documentary. Mask making Abby was cutting and sewing, and Joe was running the sewing machine. It was quite the assembly line that we had going. <laughs> so, because now the most difficult mm. part comes. Yeah. Okay. I thought. I thought it was. <laughs> yeah, you have was to. That you have the I cutting part. Is. So mm. the most difficult part is to stretch this now. Come on. Check. Yeah. Check. Mm-hmm. False it. Later that evening, we took a walk with Jason and Camilla and their three dogs. We talked about their journey and why they chose to live the life they do. But before we talk about what goes on here in Portugal, a little history of two of the permanent residents. My name is Jason. My name is Camilla. I grew up in um, a small village in the southeast of England. Uh, I've been here for about three years now, I think. When did they start traveling? So I started traveling, I first went to Thailand when I was 23, I think. Yeah, it started out with just going on a, a holiday with a girlfriend at the time. And... 
yeah, just for a couple of weeks. And at the time, I was working in a in a kind of engineering office job, um, and just took a two week holiday. Right. And when I was there, met a lot of travelers, and that was kind of the first the first thing that introduced me to traveling. It was pretty um, eye opening meeting some people and it was just it just kind of clicked I, I realized this is what i had to do at that time and how about camilla uh, well i started uh, university really to travel alone when i went for an um, erasmus experience in spain for six months and that's when yeah actually i started to be alone out of home and uh yeah start to meet different people from what i was used to And from then on, I was always trying to have different experience abroad. One year later, I went to volunteer to Brazil. And yeah, I was always wanted to go to South America. So I got the possibility to go. And from then on, yeah, after university, the, yeah, I studied for three years psychology. And uh, I was not very sure about what I was doing. I was 22 and yeah, the finishing university was kind of the step I was waiting for to mm. say, okay, I've done something, now I can start travel and kind of start learning really something about life. I decided to come actually to Portugal for the first time. So why Portugal? I wanted to come to Portugal, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. The idea was just learning stuff, different, having experience and being in the nature and the idea of living with animals and doing different projects. Right. Yeah, sounds good to me. So yeah. I decided to come here. One of the main purposes of the place we stayed at was uh, animal care and adoption. Jason and Camilla's animal family seems to be constantly growing. Yeah, we Recently, are a, bit, a little bit out of control. On this. <laughs> yeah, so my my first dog, so I was, I was traveling at first in a van for a few years. Um, and when I was in Spain, I, I got my first animal. I picked up uh, a dog, Maya. And we've been, I think that was four years ago around. And I think last year, or maybe a year and a half ago, um, about the same time, I I got another dog here, Nina, and and Camilla took a dog. Yeah, I went. Yeah, in, I went in Italy after meeting Jason, uh, started university, and I was missing so much animals after being here for such a long time, surrounded by animals, and uh, I got the chance to get this dog for fostering at the be- at the beginning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And uh, yeah, very soon I just decided to adopt He's a little little dog called Birillo. And I started to get a passion for broken animals. <laughs> yeah, he's not walking very well. And after this, we got another cat who was also broken. And now a new addition, another couple of cats. They just keep on coming. Yeah, in the, in the, last, in the last few weeks we've... Um, Yeah, some someone found uh, two three-week-old kittens. The the mum had been killed, and yeah, it was it was the 
opportunity <laughs> for us to look after them <laughs> was given to us. Um, hard to say no. Yeah, it's very hard to say no. And as soon as I saw them, I thought, oh dear, that's that's another two animals we've got <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Not much to think about because yeah, we have the vet in the house, so okay, we can get as much as many animals as we want. Yeah, and there's a lot of animals. Easy. A lot of animals come and go, and sometimes you just you just have a connection with some that that is yeah, it's hard to give up yeah. and so yeah at the moment we're we're living in a yurt with with six animals <laughs> three dogs and three cats and the two of us <laughs> the yurt which they've been living in is temporary they've started construction on a house a cob house jason explains yeah so cob houses are, are basically they're an earth earth house made from a mixture of clay, sand, straw and water. Um, where, yeah, when I first first had the idea to build my own house, um, I started looking into natural ways of building and saw cob and yeah, just just kind of fell in love with the idea of it. Yeah. It's very it's very hands-on. You the traditional way of mixing the all of the ingredients together is mixing with the feet, with the bare feet, um, and you basically you're building building with your hands. There's no no kind of structure. It's just yeah, you know, you're just you're just getting balls of of mud and and you know, just building from the ground up. It's uh, yeah, very very hands-on, fun, messy way of building and. Yeah, the the results are beautiful. It's, it's, it can be very, very natural. You don't have to have straight walls. It's more bit beneficial to have curved walls, and it looks beautiful. And what about food? Yeah, kind of. And the spring at the moment, so we we've got lots of tomatoes in there, lots of different types of lettuce and other salads, um, cucumbers, uh, zucchinis, pumpkins, melons. Um, yeah, probably a load more than I forgot, but yeah, yeah. all sorts. And it's uh, yeah, it's a, it's a big part of what we're doing here, trying to feed ourselves, and we do we do kind of sustain ourselves a lot on on the food that we grow here. Everything has a purpose here, right? So yeah, <laughs> everything, everything. <laughs> so including your food, including the food. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, we yeah. try we try to to compost everything that we use. Right, because everything, pretty much everything we use here is is natural, and everything goes back to the earth. Yeah, it goes in goes in cycles. You know, what we're awesome. eating, so we we have animals here. We have some some horses and a donkey. Um, we also have chickens and yeah, lots of dogs and cats. Right, right. And yeah, basically the the poo from everyone goes into the mix. <laughs> <laughs> with with all the food waste and and other yeah other garden waste and everything gets composted goes goes back into the into the soil to the food production we we try we try to have as little waste as possible so what are the benefits of living off grid what is the appeal well it started for me all from little steps when i was living in the city it was very clear that uh, we produce so much 
waste and we are really not focused on the amount of things that we are just wasting just from plastic food or just so many things that living in cities you don't really realize it so at the beginning I was very interested in the environmental um, subject and I was trying to reduce my personal impact on earth and uh, yeah when I when I came here and meet Jason uh, I didn't think a lot about uh, self-sufficiency before and the idea of doing from the beginning till the end uh, living a life that has very little impact on earth it mm-hmm. just makes a lot more sense and uh, yeah living in the nature and with the animals and uh, create this sort of circle mm-hmm. with uh, everything we use it just makes sense to me and uh, yeah. it's just the logical way to live in this world <laughs> Being a young couple with lots of options, I was curious if they had much support from their family and friends. I'm not so much supported in these decisions because from where I come from in yeah northern Italy, it's uh, yeah, a place where work and money is a big thing. <laughs> and uh, trying to explain my parents that I chose not exactly to follow the the path of university getting a job and mm-hmm. get a family get married and blah blah <laughs> yeah. it's uh yeah not so easy uh, for me it's um yeah i think at the beginning my my parents were they're quite supportive but but at the same time probably a little bit um a little bit fearful of of what if what if stuff goes wrong or if you're if you can't support yourself and there's there's definitely a lot of fear with with parents in particular yeah a lot of other people uh, are are very are very supportive and a lot of people would i think a lot of people would like to do it themselves but it's it's obviously a risk to leave a comfortable job when you're get, you're getting good money and it's yeah, it's a uh, it's definitely a big change and it's a big step that a lot of people find difficult to make it's not the easiest life this there are still hard things to to deal with it's just so much better than the normal life yeah there's there's yeah. still there's, there's still day-to-day things that that uh you get you get you down or you get a bit annoyed about but when you kind of take a step back and we look at where we are and we look around and the nature around here and the beauty of this place and and you you, you just smile covid's changed a lot of our lives and I was wondering if it had affected them much being in such a remote location and in actual fact here it's we're very, very lucky to be where we are. We're we're in. We have a lot of land here. We can go walking for for miles and not meet anybody. So the impact on us here has been quite minimal. Say from when going to the beach on the weekend, but um, yeah, it's 
compared to being in the middle of a city in a in a small apartment. You know, it's it's uh, yeah, it's it's uh, a lot tougher for them guys. Other than the animal care here, there's a sense that they want to build a community. Yeah, we we're now we're we're kind of creating a a small community with with the owners and. In the future, we're hoping to have some more people, um, and basically just just protecting this land here, looking after the place, doing everything as naturally as possible, and and continuing the beauty of this place for, for generations is the idea. There is this little part of forest that Gabby owns. That is, uh, yeah, the purpose is to keep it untouched because around here there is a lot of um how you say cold there's a lot of yeah there's there's a lot of um kind of clear cutting and and plantation for eucalyptus for um it's mostly for paper production yeah and yeah the idea is keeping that land untouched and let the the nature be as natural as possible but with the the owners and with us and with yeah with a couple of other little houses with with families and um yeah a for sure a continuous community and everyone helping out each other and giving the freedom also giving the freedom for for in the individual families to travel as well because it's being here we still we still want to go and see other parts of the world and so when you have when you have a, a big number of people here or other people here to to do some of the work while while I've been here and Camilla also there's been yeah there's there's probably been been a hundred people that we've met yeah. between us um yeah different workaways volunteers coming for over a few weeks or a few months or in some cases Thank you guys for, <laughs> for a bit longer. <laughs> Six months. Uh, yeah, there are periods when there is a lot of people, like eight, yeah, six to eight volunteers in the past, basically. Mm -hmm. And some other periods, mainly in winter where we are yeah. alone. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's very nice to have this continuing, yeah, coming of people, different people. For sure. Keeps so, us also alive <laughs> yeah, and, yeah and learning a lot from a lot of different different people in different cultures a lot of people are european but there's also people from uh, south america from china from yeah from all over the place with all the animals we have here there's always work to be done and with that we said good night all righty guys Sweet. Have nice a good night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see you in the morning. Have a nice trip. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Thanks again. Yeah. Have a good night. Me too. Maya, Nina, hop up. This way. Maya, this way. Maya, this way. Maya, come. Maya. In the morning, we said bye to Joe and Gabby and all the animals, and then Jason and Camilla drove us to the bus stop for the first leg of our trip home. Since Carolyn and I have been traveling for a while, we don't have a home to go back to, which poses a problem. We're supposed to quarantine for 14 days. We had heard that the government of Canada, if you don't have a place to quarantine, would provide one. And after a number of phone calls, I couldn't really get many answers as to what that would look like. I asked repeatedly if there was anything we needed to do ahead of time to prepare. And we were just told to arrive in Canada and an officer of health 
would assess the situation. So, we hopped on the bus to Lisbon. After three and a half hour bus ride, we got to Lisbon and got a quick shuttle to the airport. Then on to a flight to Frankfurt, Germany, our first major stop. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to give you some information about our flight today. At this point, I would like to ask for your understanding that due to the current situation, we can only offer a limited service in all classes. Our aim is to ensure the welfare of our passengers and crew members. Should you need to use the washrooms, they are in the rear of the cabin on this flight. Thank you very much for your understanding. The plane was busier than I thought, and even though they had told us that some middle seats weren't allowed to be booked, it seems like a lot of them were. But we got there okay. Just in time for our 11 and a half hour layover. Then it was off to London. Once again, the plane was fairly busy. But it wasn't a very long flight. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Also, on behalf of the cabin crew, I'd like to welcome you on board. My name is Miriam Grabet, and together with my colleagues, we will take you to London in about one hour and five minutes today. Ladies and gentlemen, we would like to provide the following COVID-19 public health message from Public Health England and other health protection agencies in the UK. The symptoms of coronavirus are a new continuous cough with or without a high temperature. If you experience either of those, however mild, please inform the cabin staff for reporting to public health agency at the airport. Simple measures you can take to help protect yourself and your family are for one, wash your hands often and thoroughly. Second, avoid touching your face with dirty hands and third, catch cuffs and sneezes in a tissue and dispose of it immediately. If you follow these simple rules, together we will help combat the spread of coronavirus. Further information is available at the posters and leaflets available in the airport. We now wish you a pleasant stay here in London or a safe onward journey. Thank you once again. Tschüss, goodbye and stay healthy. After another few hour layover in London, we finally boarded our flight back home to Canada. Before we boarded, our temperatures were checked and asked a few questions. This time, however, the plane was empty. We had whole sections to ourselves. Uh, first of all, we thank you for uh, flying with us today. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on board, of course. And uh, as you know, the service won't be quite the, what uh, you are used to, but uh, we do our best with the current situation. We thank you for, uh, again, your uh, patronage, and uh, we wish you a very good flight. Thank you. All travelers are asked to complete a coronavirus form so that public health officials can contact you if needed. Once we arrived in Canada, we set off to find the chief officer of health at the airport. 
Uh, we have to talk to somebody about arranging. Okay, so when you go downstairs, yep. uh, public house there. So later in the process. Oh, okay. When so you talk leave... to an officer at a booth, just tell them that and they'll yep. direct you to public house. So just leave house. his wife oh, on it? Of course, the first few questions that were asked of us was if we had arranged anything beforehand, which I told them I tried, but I was told not to. We're coming from Portugal. Uh, we've been there the last six months. After a couple of hours, we figured our best solution was just to get a hotel. So we have a list of um, hotels that are kind of nearby if you wanted to stay somewhere near the airport so you don't have to travel. And stay there for the two weeks. So that's what we did. And after 37 hours of traveling, we were in our hotel room. Looking back, we're glad that we came home when we did, not knowing what the world would be like in the coming months. We figured we can take this time to explore a bit of Canada that we haven't seen before, and still reach out to people around the world to talk to them more about living a psychedelic life. In the next few weeks, we'll be talking with plant medicine pioneer Andrew D'Angelo, Wendy Oki, who's the niece of artist Alma Rumble, and plant medicine educator Emma Chasen. The Psychedelic Suitcase is produced by Carolyn Myers and myself, your host, Dave McNee. Join us next time when we unpack more of The Psychedelic Suitcase. Until then, safe travels. <laughs>